I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hello and welcome back. This is Tales from Wisteria Lane. We are the boyfriends. I'm Billy Ray. I'm Joel. And in today's episode, we're going to be doing episode seven, Anything You Can Do. Yes. At time of recording, it's June the 22nd and we are celebrating our one year anniversary. But as we are stuck indoors due to coronavirus... We are recording the podcast rather than going out and doing stuff. But we've opened our presents. Yes, we have. We have opened the presents. Some of the stuff is posted onto our Instagram so you could probably see it. Yeah. But this is our special edition anniversary episode. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. Also, this makes me happy. We've got some really great Edie moments. I miss Edie. Edie hasn't been in it for a few episodes. Yeah. And it's really shown, I think. So it's fun to have her back. So in today's episode, I'll be doing the outline and Joel's going to be doing his um, trivia, fun facts, research, that sort of thing. Do you have anything to get us started with? Sure. So first of all, we'll do the usual. So it was written by John Pardy and Joey Murphy and it was directed by Larry Shaw. In this episode, there is a scene where Tom is pitching to his colleagues or his clients about Spotless Scrub, which is the product that they're trying to market and advertise. And Lynette sort of jumps in and overshadows Tom idea with her own idea of using dry cleaning bags to advertise Spotless Scrub, which is what ABC did to advertise the show Desperate Housewives by putting the slogan, everyone has a little dirty laundry on thousands of dry cleaning bags. That's really cool. Yep. The episode title, Anything You Can Do, comes from the musical Annie Get Your Gun, which I think probably most people know. Anything You Can Do is probably quite a famous song I know the song. song lyric. I don't know the show. Um, and it's written by Irving Berlin, but I believe from season two onwards, every single episode title is is a Stephen Sondheim song. He wrote a lot of songs. He wrote a lot man, of songs. Man was busy. The man was very busy. He was a hot commodity. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the baby blanket, which is embroidered with the name Dana, was specifically made yellow to keep the gender of Dana up in the air mm. so that people couldn't just assume whether it's boy or girl. Okay, here we go. So Mary Alice narrates about competition and how it means different things to different people. And on Wisteria Lane, that means keeping up with Bree Vandykamp. She has the nicest lawn, which Martha Huber begrudges as her own garden is never as good. Then a man called Victor, on his morning jog, collapses outside Mrs. Huber's house. She deals with this not by calling an ambulance, not by calling for help from her neighbours, but by putting Victor in a wheelbarrow, wheeling him over to Bree's house and dumping him into Bree's hydrangeas. She then runs her wheelbarrow back home, goes back to Victor and calls for help from the neighbours as if she found him there in Bree's plants the whole time. I loathe hydrangeas. (laughs) And then, title sequence. There's clearly competition between all the housewives and Bree, it seems. Maybe not all of them, but especially in this episode, Bree seems to be the one that the housewives are competing against. You know, Huber's competing against Bree with her lawn, and then we'll see throughout the episode, you know, other housewives and how they compete themselves with Bree. I don't necessarily think it's anything that Bree is starting. Bree's just doing what Bree does best. Bree's which just is bringing Bree. Bree's just doing Bree. She's so, bringing. Um, she is Bree. She's bringing herself. <laughs> So after the title sequence, Mary Alice ponders on how her and the ladies would meet once a month for the Wisteria Lane book club. She says that they would become completely absorbed in the characters' problems and goes on to list a few. Firstly, she says the way they dealt with adversity, and we're shown a shot of Lynette taking her twins' ADD medication, so that's still going on from the previous episodes. The way they conducted illicit affairs, and we're shown Gabby 
walking past John Rowland, touching his arm, looking a bit pleased and happy that way. <laughs> the way they endured domestic dramas, and we're shown a shot of Bree and Rex arguing. And the way they planned romantic conquests, which is with a shot of Susan circling the date on her calendar, which says in big, bold capital letters, date with Mike. We've got there, guys. <laughs> Finally. But ever since Mary Alice's death, the ladies aren't so much into the book club due to their own problems. When they're at the book club, the ladies eventually get some time to themselves by doing something that's very rude, but we'll get into that in a minute. Mm. So it's just the four ladies. The other ladies have gone into another room. And Susan tells them about how her and Julie found out where Zach was. And she says that Zach's in a rehabilitation centre. She says that he told her something happened to someone called Dana. And the ladies piece together that someone must have known about Dana and sent Mary Alice the mysterious blackmail note. So Mm. someone obviously knows the truth out there, but who it is, we are yet to know. No. Mm. But I mean, Brie is quite rude in this scene. <laughs> yes. Because you the way could... that she had tackled getting alone time was so uncouth. Yeah, you could just wait until the book club is over, but instead you ask specifically the girls that aren't the main housewives to help you with the food, let them wander into the kitchen, and then just close the doors so that you are left alone. What was it that she said when she closed the doors? I'll be right in. And then she just closes <laughs> the doors on them, and she's like, I couldn't wait to get rid of them. I bet those ladies were talking some real dirt about they... Brie. I bet they were but you've closed them in the kitchen where the snacks are yeah so they're just gonna like enjoy Bree's incredibly homemade snacks yeah she probably planned it oh my god yeah probably but um the book that they are discussing is Madame Bovary which I have done a little bit of research in I've never read it I've never heard of it until watching Desperate Housewives same An investigator called Mr. Short tells Paul Young that whoever sent Mary Alice the blackmail note was probably someone that they know. Maybe a neighbour, a milkman, a poor boy, or maybe even a soccer mum. Paul is surprised by Mr. Shaw's suggestion that it could have been a soccer mum, until he tells him about a soccer mum that fed antifreeze to half of a homecoming committee on a previous case. This scene is implying that you can find danger in everyday places and everyday people. Yeah, it's not just like the one that you assume, like that the Mr. Shaw was very specific in saying soccer mum. Yeah. First of all, a PTA mum feeding antifreeze to the homecoming committee, keep that in your mind because that is major foreshadowing for far, far in the future. Oh yes, it really is. Major foreshadowing for really, really far in the future. Not for anything that comes up soon, which I actually really like because by the time you get to the moment where it's foreshadowed and it's actually something similar on all those lines is maybe happening you sort of forget yeah, this al- scene it's almost like history repeating itself keep that in mind for the future yes so it's completely major foreshadowing but you PTA mums are crazy y'all I was gonna say by the time we get there it's gonna be years <laughs> yeah, it will literally be years so Tom is impressed by how clean the house is not knowing that Lynette's been cleaning whilst using ADD medication which has kept her going because it's speed apparently <laughs> he then begins to tell Lynette about a killer idea he has for this campaign for the spotless scrubs idea to run at work and says that he wants to do the pitch meeting at their house with all the board members and their wives over a dinner party. When Lynette asks when this formal dinner is meant to take place, he says, the day after tomorrow, and Lynette asks, how am I supposed to do something like this with no warning? Mm. And Tom says, Brie Vandekamp does this sort of thing all the time. He doesn't say exactly how I just said it, but this is how it came across. He can see that this has taken her back a bit, but she says it's fine and she'll do it. When Tom leaves the room, she goes to take more ADD medication, but she's all out. Mm. It's all gone. In my opinion, Tom backed her into a corner and she had to say yes. Yeah, when I first watched this, I thought, well, he did ask her in all fairness, but then upon re-examination, he was clearly 
putting her in an in an awkward position where she can't say no. From yeah, from my opinion of watching the scene, it seemed like Tom had already told the people that were going to be coming over for this dinner party. He'd already told them the dinner party was happening, mm. and so now he can tell his wife because she doesn't really have much of a choice than to say yes because Tom can't exactly invite them to a dinner party and then come back and say my wife said we can't like (laughs) (laughs) you can't really do that so but um it's more manipulation from Tom I just I'm not a fan of Tom right now he's not coming across like a, a nice person Oh, you're right. This isn't the best champagne in the world. It's really not. Well, it's Prosecco, but it's not. The, the bottle's been bad. sat at my mum's house for a long time, guys. Sorry, we're, we're drinking champagne while doing the episode because, like we said, it's our anniversary. We don't normally drink when doing the episodes, but... We don't normally drink during the day. No, we, no, we don't, but I could get behind drinking during the episodes. Okay. I could get behind that. Back to the episode. Yeah, moving on. Juanita. Oh. <laughs> that alcoholic, like, tang. Juanita. Juanita is sitting on the porch and staring at John Rowland as he is gardening. Gabby calls John's mobile from her bedroom and tells him to meet her at the hotel in an hour, but he says he can't as he's going to the movies with Danielle. Gabby doesn't like this and says it sounds like a date and she has a problem with him seeing other girls, to which John replies, well, I have a problem with you having a husband. I guess we'll both have to learn to deal and hangs up on her. (laughs) Snap. Gabby then throws her phone onto the bed in frustration and storms into the bathroom. We cut back to John as his phone rings again and it says, Mrs. Solis. So he answers the phone and says, don't even try to make it up to me by talking dirty. (laughs) There's a brief pause in which John's like, hello? And then it's revealed that it's Juanita on the other side of the phone and not Gabby. Juanita looks pleased with what she's just found out. Juanita is so good. (laughs) And John looks good too in this scene. When does John not look in that white vest? I mean, he's not wearing the white vest in this scene. He's just topless. He is just topless. That's even better. (laughs) Brie and Rex are in a meeting with Andrew's headmistress, Principal Stark, who tells them that Andrew's facing expulsion after shoving another student's head into a locker and broke his nose. Rex instantly jumps to Andrew's defense and questions the punishment. Whilst Brie thinks it was clearly assault and so the punishment makes sense. Rex blames Andrew's behaviour on their own marital problems and Brie believes that he should still be punished over this. After a heated debate, Rex blurts out, Brie, I've gone to an attorney. You're going to be served with divorce papers later on today. To which Brie replies, well, he better be good because when I'm through with you, you won't have a cent to your name. I really enjoy this scene. Like, it's been a couple of days since we've watched the episode, and so I really enjoy this scene looking back on it, because it really highlights the difference between Brie and Rex as not just parents, but as people. I love that there's no middle ground either. They're both on complete opposites end of this spectrum. There's he no... is defending him to the tilt and she is like, no, punish him, it's that's, fine. That's literally it. She's going straight to, this is practically assault. You know, headmistress, you do what you see fit. And Rex is the one who, weirdly enough, I kind of side with more because he's the one that's saying, you know, it was, you know, a little rough housing. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that expelling Andrew is the way to go because Andrew's clearly lashing out he's clearly having trouble if this was an ongoing thing if this wasn't the first time Andrew's done something like this then absolutely you need to start looking into you know expelling him and and sort of a stronger punishment but as it stands from what information we have from this scene I mean they say it's a zero tolerance policy don't they so we can only assume it's his first offense yeah like from the information that we get from this scene it doesn't sound like he's doing this a lot it's not like it's happened frequently or before so i do think that what the school should be doing is getting him some help 
like therapy or something. I have therapy at school, and it's nothing wrong with it. So but, um, yeah, good. It's a good scene. Um, Rex does not handle this very politely. No, he doesn't. And I feel really sorry for the head teacher because just blurting out that you've gone to an attorney in front of the head teacher puts the head teacher in an uncomfortable position, and you should have more respect for your soon-to-be ex-wife. You've been married all this time. She's the mother of your children. You should have more respect than to blurt it out there in front of people. That's like, it's almost like, oh my God, here we go, I'm going on a rant now, guys. It's almost like um, when you get proposed to in public and there's people around and you're almost manipulated into saying yes to spare the embarrassment of the person that's proposing. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) I hate public proposals, guys. I love this podcast. It's really giving me a lot of advice for the future. (laughs) (laughs) FYI. Susan is getting ready for her date with Mike and tells Julie that she wants to look sexy. Julie asks Susan if she has protection and says, you know how I worry. Good old Julie. Mike is also getting ready for the date. He's putting on a suit in front of the mirror with his dog when he gets interrupted by a mysterious woman ringing the bell. Susan walks over to Mike's house and meets Edie on the way. Edie says that she looks pretty and she hardly recognised her. And Susan says that she's going on a date with Mike right now. FYI. FYI. Edie does not look happy. (laughs) Also, Susan loved getting that in there. She loved it. That was that final little dig at Edie. (laughs) When she gets to Mike's house, he tells her that he has to cancel the date as someone has shown up last minute. The mysterious woman that knocked on the door then comes up to the front door and introduces herself to Susan as Kendra and runs to her car to grab her things. Mike says Kendra is just an old friend and that she's there's nothing to worry about, but Susan questions it. Susan then walks back home covering her face from Edie who sarcastically asks, How was your date? <laughs> uh, one of the facts, actually, I, I like one of the little things I have is for this scene, and Edie's reply to Susan of FYI, when she goes, <laughs> FYI, isn't actually scripted. Nicolette did it <laughs> randomly because she... She thought that Susan's first FYI to her when she's walking to Mike's house was too, like, catty. And uh, she couldn't help but say it. But then they decided to keep it in, which was a good idea because it's comedy gold. Yes, this episode. God bless you, Edie. Oh, my Um, God. Edie goes over to Paul's house to discuss selling the house as Edie is Paul's estate agent. She tells him that he legally has to tell potential buyers that Mary Alice killed herself in the house. She says that he could always tell people that she shot herself in the living room but crawled out the back to die. She then walks out in a hurry, forgetting her folder. Paul calls after her, but she's already gone, and when he looks in the folder, he finds the same stationery that was used for Mary Alice's blackmail note. He's put it together in his mind somehow that Edie is the one that sent the blackmail note based on this stationery. Apparently, the blackmailer is the only person that's allowed purple paper in Wisteria Lane, like Fairview area. No one else is allowed that paper. I think this is Mr. Shaw's fault in a way as well, because he's basically saying it could be any of your neighbours. Yeah, he so is he's sort now of fueling, he's fueling the suspicion. But I love this because we now get um, a bit of a story with Edie that Edie can be involved in. Mm-hmm. So she, she can now be a bit of a, a central player in the story rather than just someone for Susan to have a competition yeah. with. <laughs> True. And the ball's starting to roll a little bit with the mystery. Mm. Gabby is on one of her daily jogs when she runs into Danielle. She tells... <laughs> she tells... She tells Danielle that she remembers how Danielle used to want to be a model and offers to help her get into the modelling academy by sponsoring her. Danielle is over the moon. But we all know that this isn't Gabby being nice. No. This is I mean, Gabby trying to get rid of Danielle so there's no competition with John. I think it's kind for Gabby to extend that offer, but she does clearly have an ulterior motive. But I, just a quick word to John right now. You could have Gabby, yet you choose to date someone that still wears a backpack. That's so, all I'm saying. Less complicated. Less complicated. Complicated. Girl, please. Daniel doesn't have a husband. <laughs> no, true. Daniel does not have a <laughs> husband. 
Lynette is at the park with the kids and runs into Jordana. She asks Jordana if she can borrow some ADD medication as she is throwing a big dinner party, but Jordana says that she needs it all as she has her sister come around to stay. Lynette says something about how, how nice that must be to see her sister all the time, and I was, mm. I was literally thinking, yeah, right, you don't like your sister. <laughs> Lynette then replies by saying not to expect any help from her in the future, like when Girl Scout cookie time comes up. <laughs> And I was just like, oh my god. The little dinks that these housewives get to each other. She's like, oh, I'm not going to forget this, Jordana. And I was like, Lynette, chill. I won't ever buy your daughter's cookies again. (laughs) (laughs) I really like this scene from a a film student perspective. Because this scene, I feel like this is the perfect representation of what's happening in Lynette's head right now. Because the scene is so frantic. The scene is really frantic, yeah. Like, there's quite a few cuts. Like, they're only slightly faster than regular cut-in. But you've got kids running around in the background. You've got kids running around in the foreground. And yeah. Just, it's a really frantic scene. It is, actually. I never noticed that. That's a good spot. Thank you. I mean, Jordana, who's clearly been taking her children's ADD medication for a lot longer than Lynette, manages to look so good. Yet Lynette looks like she's travelled to the park via tornado. <laughs> It's like she's uh, clearly she's on a come down. Like it's clear she's on like some sort of come down from these speed tablets or whatever they're supposed to be. What do you guys think ADD medication does? My God. <laughs> Bree and Rex talk to Andrew and Danielle at the dinner table about how they're getting divorced. To which Andrew instantly asks if he can live with Rex after the divorce. Danielle herself says she doesn't really care and just wants her own bathroom. This obviously upsets Bree, who pretends that the wine is giving her a headache and leaves the room. Heartbreaking. This moment breaks my heart just because her children are so Cavalier. dense and Andrew's clearly just like straight out there with can I stay with dad that's literally what Andrew's words were can I just stay with you dad like that must break a parent's heart when you're one of your children is so openly like one of your children openly prefer one parent to the other I get that your mum can be annoying but you can tell that Brie is trying so hard with this family she really does try her hardest and she's so unappreciated poor form kids poor form Danielle's no better nope I don't care as long as I get my own bathroom Kendra is looking at the dirt that Mike has dug up on the neighbours and is unimpressed by his work, saying that it's a complete waste of her father's money. From this, we can kind of assume that her dad is the mean old man from one of the previous episodes that Mike was hired to spawn the neighbours by, the guy that doesn't like kids. The one that hates laughter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, this is his daughter, Kendra. Kendra asks Mike to stop and tell him that there's nothing to find in Wisteria Lane so that she can have her dad back and he can stop chasing ghosts. Mike says he can't stop now and Kendra says, what happens when your girlfriend finds out that you're not this nice neighbourly plumber and Mike walks off in frustration Mm. this is an interesting new dynamic with Kendra and the man that's hired Mike yep and it's a really interesting scene because they're sort of it's frustrating because they're giving us info but they're still not giving us enough info we we, we still don't know what he's looking for no we still don't know what he's looking for but it feels like the answer's right within reach but we have found out that Kendra wants her dad back she wants this to stop so Kendra is most likely going to be an obstacle in Mike's path. Yes, most likely. We haven't seen much of her yet, so we don't really know. But the fact that she seems so against mm. what Mike and Noah, uh, which is Kendra's dad, uh, what Mike and Noah are doing, um, proves that Kendra could be someone that gets in the way. Susan and Lynette are going through boxes in Susan's garage, looking for things that Lynette can use at Tom's dinner party. Susan comes across that gross blanket from the previous episode, the one that says Dana on it, and um, she's, she notices that the embroidery on it says Dana, and says that it came from Paul Young's garage sale. So they deduce from this that Dana must have been a baby. Yep. Yeah. Boy. 
Everyone was a baby once. Dana was a baby. Dana was a baby. This next one's a bit long, so let's get this let's get this out of the way. Rex surprises Andrew with his own car and Danielle with a brand new suitcase, which she can take to her modeling academy. He's also paying for her tuition. This is all news to Brie, who had no idea that Rex was getting these presents for the kids or about the modeling academy. Rex says that Danielle told him all about the academy and that he thinks it's a great idea. Brie tells them that he is obviously trying to buy their love and tells them that the kids can't accept the gifts, but Rex insists. Andrew and Danielle happily go for a drive in Andrew's car, leaving Brie and Rex on the front lawn. So they're very much on the dad's side that he's just got them these brand new gifts. Thanks, dad. Well, yeah, he's just got them incredible gifts. Yeah. That is some foul war games that you're playing there, Rex. Just saying. So I've got like a little sort of like goof kind of thing here, which links to this half of the scene. So I'll say it now. Yes. Um, That when Rex gives Andrew the car and you see them jump into it and go for a drive and Danielle jumps into the passenger seat and as she jumps, she's only wearing one shoe. (laughs) What? I know I I wrote it down and then I specifically made a note to check when we watched the episode just to make sure that it was true. And she is only wearing one shoe, but then when she returns from the drive later, she does have both shoes. What the hell? What happened behind the scenes that she was only wearing one shoe (laughs) for this shot? got no idea because the scene starts with them coming out of the house i'm not sure if she was like putting her shoes on or whatever but i don't know i love goofs like this they're so strange so this weird. is the true mystery of season one of, of um tales from wisteria lane so brie watches as they drive off and then she sees gabby driving around the corner and parking her car she angrily walks up to gabby and asks her about sponsoring danielle telling her to keep her ridiculous ideas to herself before <laughs> storming back off to her own house When Gabby turns around, she notices that John is standing behind her and he's looking really angry as he heard the whole conversation between Brie and Gabby just now. He storms off into Gabby's garage and tells her that she's so jealous of Danielle that she's trying to ship her off to New York. And then he quits out of frustration. (laughs) Gabby tells John that what they had was so special that he deserves a proper goodbye while stroking his chest. And he says... I mean, um, would still be over though. And it cuts to Juanita just outside the garage who had the whole thing. To be Juanita right now, I would kill to be Juanita. The drama that she is getting, I would love it. Guys, you are not being conspicuous. No, she's, they're really not. But I noticed watching this that John is still wearing his sandals <laughs> when he's working as the gardener for the Solisas. And we love a continuity queen. I like that. We Good do. continuity. We love a continuity queen. Lynette's friend Terry has Lynette and her kids over for a play date, and Terry thanks Lynette, saying that her kids are the only ones that can actually wear out her own kids. Lynette then goes to Terry's bathroom and searches all of the cupboards for some ADD medication. She finds a pot and takes one of the pills, and pockets another handful before closing the cupboard. I mean, Lynette can't sink any lower. Lynette, this, this, is, point, this is not good. You are literally stealing an eight-year-old's medication. <laughs> Going through other people's cupboards. This is low. And also, when I was a child, I used to, like, steal biscuits and stuff. You never take a lot. You take one, maybe two, because if you take too many more, they will start to notice. This is what this is her, this woman's child's medication. Mm. And you are literally pouring a handful of it to pocket and take home. Half of this tub of medication is going to be gone. And this woman is going to notice. Why do all of the kids have ADD? What is wrong with this towel? And also, are any of the parents actually giving their children the medication? Based on this um, play party, I don't think these kids are having their medication either. No, they were wild. It reminded me that I'm not ready for children yet because it was just too much screaming. 
Paul is having a conversation with Mr. Shaw, who is the detective guy from earlier, in his car, and has told him that he found out who Mary Alice's blackmailer was. Mr. Shaw asks if Paul is going to call the police, but Paul says that it isn't really an option for him, as they lived a life he was proud of, saying that they were good people, which is why it's incomprehensible to him that Edie Brooke would want to destroy them. Paul tells Mr. Shaw that he needs Edie gone, now, and Mr. Shaw says, mm -hmm. for five grand she's hurt, for ten grand she's gone. Dun dun dun. I mean, is that all it costs? If all it costs is 10 grand to kill someone, then Mr. Shaw, me and you can have a word. <laughs> but oh my gosh, the plot is thickening and oh, Edie. Edie it is, is poor getting, Edie. She's getting caught in a situation. I, I just, I don't believe that Edie did this. I don't know. Edie? I reckon Edie's capable of doing something like this. No, Edie is not a passive aggressive post-it note kind of person. She's more, she's more of a slap in the face. Yeah, that's true. She would probably just have gone straight up to Mary Alice. <laughs> she would have said what the note said to Mary Alice's yeah, face. Yeah, she wouldn't have bothered with the note. She would have just said it. Andrew and Danielle come home to see all of their things on the front lawn. With Danielle wearing both shoes. <laughs> when Danielle asks Brie what's going on, she tells her that she's kicking them out and that she's separated all of their things into two sides. One side for Andrew's stuff and another for Danielle's, and they're all also in different categories. She's also changed the locks and tells the kids that she can give them a set of keys to get back into the house in exchange for giving back their father's gifts. Danielle promises not to go to New York, but Andrew refuses and says, forget it, I'm out of here. I mean, I don't know how I feel about this. This is because... so this is hilarious. This is like peak Brie. She's, she's even organised of kicking her children out. But at the same time, an all expenses paid trip to New York to go to a modelling academy, I would not give that up. No, of course not. To be honest, this is such a complicated situation. I don't agree at all with what Rex did, because he should have told Brie about this. But this no. is also not a very fair response. No, he should have told Brie about this, and he should have ran those presents past Brie. But at the same time, if I was Danielle, I would forever be questioning what if, and I would probably end up being so angry with my mum, because I was like, I had the opportunity to be a model. Yeah, she's, she's going to grow resentful. Yeah, because of you, I couldn't even, I couldn't even go to this modelling academy and get trained. Edie's having an open house for Paul Young and Mike walks in there with Kendra, saying it's the only house he hasn't been able to get into yet. He also tells Kendra that he wants to take her to a bar tonight, which Edie overhears, and then says to her that it was the last place anybody ever saw her sister. Edie doesn't hear that part. Also, this is brand new information. Like, this is the last place anyone ever saw your sister? What's this about? Who's your sister? Okay, Ken it's Kendra's sister, which therefore means it's Noah Taylor's daughter mm. that is missing. Yeah. So now we can see why Noah is so invested. We don't know why Mike is so invested in this situation. So Susan walks over and says to Edie that she just wants to say goodbye to Mary Alice's house before someone else moves in. But Edie doesn't believe it and says, come on, we both know why you're here. And the answer is yes. They're having sex. <laughs> referring to Mike and Kendra. She then tells Susan that she overheard Mike and Kendra were going out for drinks and dancing tonight. This is semi-true. Because mm -hmm. he did say that he was taking her to a bar. Drinks and dancing was not mentioned. I want to go to the Saddle Ranch Cowboy Bar. That sounds like so much fun. So let's go. Let's go over there right now. So Edie and Susan then follow Mike and Kendra to this seemingly cowboy themed bar to spy on them. Oh, it looks so good. It's got a mechanical ball in the middle. <laughs> Edie's wearing a cowboy hat. So Susan decides to leave, saying that there's obviously nothing going on between Mike and Kendra, and Edie tells her, suit yourself, but I was rooting for you to land him. And when Susan asks Edie why she'd be rooting for her, Edie says it'd be easier to steal Mike from her, 
Because Kendra seems like she's actually fun. Edie, you are my spirit animal. Edie's just sitting there with like her unbuttoned top, her cowboy hat, she's got a whole pint of beer. She's such a mood. Edie's a really good friend as well because Susan's a proper like cow to Edie. <laughs> and Edie's still there saying, I'll go to the bar with you. Let's just buy a mic. I mean, Edie's probably I was gonna doing say, it. Edie does have ulterior motives. Edie probably, yeah, Edie does have ulterior motives. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to go to a bar with someone that I'm not friends with and is horrible to me. When Susan comes out of the bathroom, she sees Edie riding the mechanical bull in the middle of the bar. Edie throws her cowboy hat, which Susan picks up. So, um, Susan picks up the hat, but before she has the chance to leave, Mike runs into her, and he tells her that he caught Edie hiding, who then told him the jig is up, and that they both came together, before she decided to have a go at the mechanical bull in the middle of the room. Susan owns up to come into the bar with Edie, but denies following Mike to the bar, but Mike doesn't believe her. Susan insists that she came to ride the mechanical bull. The bull operator overhears this, and so S Susan decides that she actually does have to ride the bull, because he practically, like, pulls her over here. Yeah. Susan unbuttons some of her shirt, chucks her hat, you know, she's trying to seem fun, but her hat hits the operator who falls over the controls and so the mechanical ball springs into action and just hits her in the face, knocking her clean out. I mean, I love the polar opposites between Edie and Susan here because <laughs> Edie's there like riding that ball hard, like she doesn't even have to hold on and Susan doesn't even make it onto the ball and she is knocked unconscious. Andrew has shown up to Rex's motel room and Rex tells him he has to stay with his mum. Andrew says that he wants to live with Rex and that it would be like their own little bachelor pad. But Rex says that he can't stay with him as he has his own stuff to work out. Andrew storms out and calls a friend and asks if he still has his fake ID as he has to go back to his mum's and he can't do it sober. The fact that Andrew thinks that he can look at his dad and say, oh, let me stay here. It can be our own little bachelor pad. That's oh. your dad. That's disgusting. What on earth are you implying? <laughs> I don't, like, oh, I just, it's your dad, man. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I love this next scene. So Lynette and Tom have the board members over and their wives over for the dinner party. Lynette is serving food while Tom is pitching his idea to the board for the Spotless Scrubs campaign. He pitches this idea about having adverts at the supermarkets as that's where women spend the majority of their time. This is his words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Lynette overhears Tom's idea and pitches in her own idea about having the products advertised on dry cleaning bags. This completely wins over the board members' wives who say that they would definitely notice these ads and so the board members then call Lynette's idea fantastic. Lynette then overtakes the meeting completely with more ideas and starting to say where you could start with this campaign, etc. Etc. And um, this just leaves Tom in silence. Mm -hmm. I love this scene. Like just Lynette's face as she pipes in, hearing what Tom's saying, and she gets so excited. Like this is my world. Yeah, she does. I she mean, this is this. So um, obviously, your Ish. whole your whole thing is you know media and stuff like that. My whole thing that I'm studying right now is marketing. Yes, so this, this is very Joel. This is very much my scene. Tom's idea was not that bad. No, right? it was a pretty it, legit idea. But he's thinking from a man's point of view, he, isn't he is thinking from a man's point of view. And also in a slightly sexist mentality, I feel, just a little bit. Because saying that women spend the majority of their time at large chain grocery stores can be quite naive thought about women. Especially now that we're in the 21st century, Tom, wake up. Um, <laughs> but it would also, I think, cost a lot of money. Tom's idea is to put advertisements on the sides of trolleys, basically, um, which I would imagine costs an awful lot of money. And the way I picture it, I'm not quite sure about American, you know, shopping carts, but the way I picture it is it would be like a, an advertisement like it is on the side of a bus for us. But taking that into consideration, you would think that an awful lot of shops 
would already have marketing for this product. Yeah. Like spotless scrubs. If if you are purchasing it in large chain grocery stores, it will already have POS. It'll already have marketing. It will already have, you know, offers where the product's on the end of an aisle or it will have its own little, you know, unique stand that it gets, you know, displayed upon. So in essence, it's potentially just a little bit of waste of money. Woo, I'm making use of my degree. <laughs> Susan and Mike are sitting at one of the tables in the cowboy bar and she feels self-conscious that everyone's watching her after she got hit in the face by the mechanical ball. Kendra comes over with some beers and Mike introduces her properly. He says that this is his friend Kendra, she's only staying for a day and then she's leaving. Kendra tells Susan that she has no interest in Mike. I should point out, by this point Mike has gone to get a drink or something so yeah, it's exactly. just Susan and Kendra. And she says to Susan that she'd be smart to be careful around Mike and tells her to ask him why he moved to Wisteria Lane in the first place, saying that it's one hell of a story. While Edie is at the bar with Mr. Shaw, who um, walks over to the bar, he approaches Edie, and that's the last that we see of Mr. Shaw and Edie. Yeah, we haven't seen um, any more. But it's a bit worrying. Mm-hmm. Is he gonna kill Edie? <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Has Paul paid in the 10,000? Carlos is leaving to go to a business dinner, but Gabby says she can't due to cramps. Eventually, Gabby wins out, so we need her and Carlos to go without her. We're getting to the end of it now. Yeah. Um, Gabby and John have just finished their adult cuddles when Juanita arrives home in a taxi early. She tells the taxi man to wait and she goes into the bedroom and takes a photo of them in bed. Gabby decides to pack a bag intent on running while John decides it's a better idea to chase down Juanita and grab the camera. He tries to grab the camera out of her hand but Juanita takes him down without too much effort I might like to add and runs out of the house leaving John floored. <laughs> yeah. She runs out into the street and a car comes speeding around a corner and hits her full speed and the car then just drives off. Gabby runs out of the house and tells John to go home and pretend that he was never here so John runs off. The cab driver then comes running around the corner to Gabby. He says that he saw the car hit Juanita and just drive off. Gabby tells him to grab his phone and call 911 so the taxi driver runs back to the car to grab his phone and while he does that Gabby steals the camera from Juanita. We then see the car that hit Juanita pull up into a driveway and the camera pans up revealing that the hit and run driver was Andrew. <gasps> oh, and oh my gosh does he look horrified with what he's just done. Don't drink drive kids. So, I mean, this scene is everything okay when Juanita's little smiley face when she catches Gabby and she takes the photo and there's that sort of moment between them that's everything Gabby just quietly giving up and she just oh like God. gets her bag. The, and difference, the differences in their responses are so funny. <laughs> that is everything. John calling Juanita an old woman. He's John, like get back here old woman. He's proper panicking. He's like what are you doing? We need to stop her. <laughs> and so then John calling Juanita an old woman is everything and then getting his butt kicked by Juanita is everything. Without much effort. No. Like, she's this like not touch me. And this is just... a muscular man trying to grab this camera out of her hand. Lynette and Tom are arguing about what happened at the dinner party. He also says that tonight wasn't supposed to be about making his ideas look bad, to which Lynette says, well, maybe you need better ideas. Ain't that oop? And then immediately apologises, because obviously that was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> was it? I don't know. I mean, I mean there was a bit earlier like... on where Lynette said, do you want to pitch your idea to me? We can talk yeah. about it. Like, she wants to get involved. She does want to get involved. And she... would, to be honest, I think that would have made her so happy because obviously she misses that life. So she clearly her, does. Her husband bringing that to her would have made her so happy. And maybe Lynette wouldn't have hijacked, again, I'm using air quotes, hijacked the meeting with her idea if Tom had pitched his idea to Lynette a couple of days before the meeting, like she asked, and they could have, like, brainstormed and bounced and maybe 
Lynette could have helped Tom improve upon his idea. Tom's idea wasn't bad, but Lynette's was just a little bit better. But I do get that he has to come from a professional perspective, but there also does seem to be a very slight bit of toxic masculinity here. Tom, I think, is probably worried because Lynette was doing a little bit better in her career than yeah. he was before the children. But I, I feel like Tom worries that Lynette will not like his ideas. Tom says that Lynette always used to compete with Tom and that she always used to remind him that her career was better than his. And Lynette laments on how she gave up her career and feels stuck as a housewife. Tom then tells her that he thinks that she threw a great dinner party and that she is a great mum. And this settles her down a bit. He says that everyone thinks you're a great mum, you're a great wife. And she ba she says thanks. He then asks what's wrong with her eyes. She says that she's just tired and he doesn't believe her, but they don't really get a chance to look into it further as they hear the sirens outside. So the, the ambulance has just shown up with Juanita. Bree runs into her house to grab a blanket and sees Andrew and tells him that there's been an accident. When she looks at Andrew, he's crying and says, Mama. And then Bree realizes that it was Andrew who ran over Juanita. Hmm. She then brings Rex and tells him to come home. You better hope that Bree doesn't hold grudges, young boy. But no, I mean, when she calls Rex and she's like, you need to come home, your family needs you, or something along those words, I do like the moment where Danielle sort of stood opposite Andrew and she takes his hand, mm. and it's like a proper strong family moment. So the episode ends with Mary Alice talking about competition again. She says that whether it's a friendly rivalry or a fight to the death, the end result is the same. There will be winners and there will be losers. She then says that no victory comes without a price as Bree and Rex hide Andrew's car in the garage and close the door. Yes. Also closing the door on us because it ends the episode. It does end the episode. That is a good end shot. They've clearly, it clearly seems like they're going to try and cover this up. Indeed. We don't really know what the outcome is of Juanita. No, we don't know what happens with Juanita yet. We don't know if she's okay. Yeah, is she okay? But... Is she dead? Is she alive? Is she gonna go? Like, we don't know. That Like, that's a dark ending with Brie, though. It is a dark oh, ending. Days. What an episode. That was anything you can do. Oof. So, Madame Bovary is a book about... Basically, from what I can read of it, I'm just gonna do a really quick overview because it's just about a woman who has a lot of affairs. <laughs> right, okay. Really. It's about, it starts off with a man and he gets married to a woman that his mother like sets him up with, as it were. And then she begins an affair with someone and she's consumed by romantic fantasies and risks compromising herself with like letters and visits to her lover, which links a little bit with Gabby because they're very risky with what they do. And after four years, she wants to run away with him and he doesn't share her enthusiasm. And then on the eve of their planned departure, he ends it with a letter. And it's so great that Emma, who is the protagonist, falls deathly ill and turns to religion to help her out. And then after a little while, she finds someone else and she begins an affair with them. And her husband just believes that she's taking piano lessons. And she travels to the city each week to meet Leon, who is the other person that she's having an affair with. This is French, by the way. <laughs> and it's always in the same room of the same hotel, which also I found intriguing because that links again with Gabby and John when she calls him and she's like, meet me at the motel. And the love affair between them two is really, you know, ecstatic. And then Leon grows bored with Emma and her emotional excesses. And Emma grows ambivalent to Leon. And she sort of makes a lot of purchases on credit from shops to sort of um, indulge her fancy for luxury goods. Hmm, interesting. 
So it's very, yeah. It, yeah, it con- links the, a lot with Gabby. The context is interesting because in the show, the book that they're reading for the book club seems to relate to Gabby. And I think the title, Anything You Can Do, like sort of like, if you can do this, I can do it better. That seems to relate a lot to Susan and Edie and the competition that they've got going with Mike. See, I thought that it linked um, quite well with Lynette and Brie. Lynette and Brie? Yeah. Oh, yes, because... Because Br- they've got Lynette the competition is... between Lynette and Brie because obviously Tom's there going, oh, well, you know, Brie Vanderkam does this kind of thing all the time and Lynette's clearly on of her own accord and in a competition Huber. with Lynette and Mrs. Huber so I think it's all just about competition anything you can do I can do better yeah which and obviously Mary Alice makes quite clear <laughs> competition is the theme of this episode clearly clearly the theme of this episode so that was season one episode seven anything you can do thank you so much for listening this thank was you. such a good episode it was a really good episode it was really fun to talk about next week we'll be doing episode eight which is called guilty so Joel if anyone wants to find us on our socials where can they find us um so you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review you can also email us at boyfriends at outlook.com and all of our artwork is done by our friend louis you can find him at doc red monk design on instagram and there is a link to his etsy page he's great he did some artwork for a book that joel got me for today for our anniversary which is so good. Yeah, it's like a little photo book and I just got him to do some digital artwork, which I've also put on our page today and I've tagged him in them, so I regularly go to him when I need any sort of digital artwork done. So, we are gonna go and enjoy the rest of our anniversary. We're gonna drink more because there's nothing else to do when you're stuck indoors during a pandemic. True. (laughs) We'll go for a walk. We might go for a walk. So, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.